0: Please stand for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Fred. Well, we are continuing, if you're just joining us in a series that we've been in for a few weeks now in this section of the book of Psalms for a series that we're calling Songs of Ascent for the section that's called the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134. We're getting through the first half of these this summer. Uh, we're featuring these psalms as something that many commentators have noted or something like a, a pilgrim songbook songs for those who were on their way up to Jerusalem in ancient Israel as part of the three times a year gatherings of all the people of God together to remember what he had done for them, to be commissioned by him to continue his work in the world and to be blessed by him or to be reinvigorated in the blessings that they had, these three main feasts were Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. And as they would come up for these feasts from the various parts of Israel, traveling slowly, they would sing these songs of ascent as they prepared their hearts. So that the journey itself actually became something of that final destination, that it, that it stoked their appetite for God, that it increased their hunger for him, and so that even these songs, even the journey became part of the gathering, part of the worship, part of the recommissioning of God's people. And as, as, as uh, Eugene Peterson points out in his book about these psalms, a long obedience in the same direction, these psalms can be used to the same effect in our lives, they can be used to sharpen our hunger for God on that long, slow journey of discipleship that leads us back to him. And so my hope is that through this series we will learn more and more how to internalize what's in these psalms, how to make them something of songs for ourselves that we can come back to again and again on our journeys of discipleship or that if we're not on that journey and we don't know God in that way they might start to to nudge us in that direction of having a curiosity of what would it be to be on this journey with God, to have the things that these psalms hold out, to have the God that these psalms hold out. And today we're going to continue on this journey together through Psalm 124, focusing on God as our help while we are on journey with him. That as we talked about in baptism this morning, this is not a life we live on our own. It is a life we live with God with us, in us, for us, especially, not apart from, but especially in the difficult times, in the hard times. I want us us to have us see what the psalm shows us about God's help for us through two things, through a terrifying thought and an electrifying reality. So a terrifying thought in verses 1 through 5 and 8 and an electrifying reality in verses 6 through 7. Before we get into that, would you bow your heads? Let's pray and ask God to fill up our time and our hearts. God, we thank you for this day where we have gotten to see members brought into your house, where we have seen faith professed, where we have seen that you have helped, that you have moved, that you are on the move. God, I pray for each of us that, who, that feel like you are not on the move, that feel stuck, that feel like maybe we are walking in circles, that your help would start to dawn on our hearts this morning even if it's just the faintest glimmer of the sky starting to change color because the dawn is coming and the night is ending, we pray that you would sow that into our hearts. God, we pray for those who are suffering deeply now in Maui, who have struggled with the loss of life, the loss of family, the loss of homes, the loss of a sense of future. We pray that you would enter in, that you would be their help, that they would know you, that your church there would enter in and be your hands and feet to people who are hurting. God, we pray for anyone who is hurting in this congregation this morning, that you would be near them, that you would be their help, that in the times when they are facing darkness, maybe now or in the past or in the future, that you would unquestionably be the God who stands with them in the fire. So would you do that this morning? Would you enter in? Would you enliven us with your Holy Spirit? In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, have them open. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning. We're going to begin here with a terrifying thought. Uh, There is a TV series that's not new anymore, it's finished Man in the High Castle. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not, but it envisions, it's based on a book, a very different world than the one that we occupy, based off of a grim, in fact, terrifying thought. And that thought is this, what if Nazi Germany and imperialist Japan had won World War II? What would our world be like? It imagines that Germany developed the atomic bomb first and used it on Washington DC, that in our world, Washington DC would not exist anymore, that the US and the allies lost and become a conquered and occupied people. It imagines a global, not just a European campaign, but a global campaign of genocide against Jewish people. It imagines all of Africa enslaved by Germany. It imagines forced labor and extermination camps here in the US. It imagines segregation and racial hierarchies as the norm and not the exception. It imagines eugenics being the standard medical practice with anyone not of of a sanctioned medical condition being euthanized. It imagines a military state where there is no room to disagree and if you disagree you disappear into an interview room never to come home. It imagines a world where it is illegal to practice faith of any kind, it is a dark awful world. I am not doing a good job promoting the show. And I don't need to. It is a fascinating show, but it is dark. And there were many times, uh, I think i talking with Esther about this, when we were watching it, we would think how glad we were that the world did not end up that way. That things could have gone that way, but didn't go that way. Similarly, Psalm 124 imagines an awful world that, praise God, never came to be. It starts with a terrifying thought. Verse 1, if God had not been on our side. It's another way of saying, if things had turned out differently. Say, if God had not been on our side, it calls out and says, let Israel say, everyone remember, if things had not gone the way that they had gone, if God had not been on our side, then verses 2 through 5 would have happened. You can look there of what the psalmist says, they were enduring. It says, verse 2, when people rose up against them, they would have, verse 3, been swallowed alive. They would not have overcome, but they would have been overwhelmed like a flood washing over them, like a flash flood, which is what some of that imagery is trying to point out, of raging waters overtaking them, leaving them nowhere to run, nothing to grab, nowhere to go for relief, overtaken in a second their world would simply just have been changed, either because they were taken out of the world or the world that they knew was taken away from them. But whatever the world was the day before, it would not have been that way the day after. Life would just have been changed if God was not for them. That's the terrible thought that the psalmist is ruminating on here what would have happened if it ended up that we were actually just on our own? That God wasn't there, that he wasn't big, that he wasn't strong, that he didn't care. We were just fighting on our own against things that we may or may not be stronger than in the end. That's the terrible thought. If it's them versus the world, versus all the obstacles all the dangers, all the challenges, where it's them even, not just versus the world, but versus themselves. How many times in movies and stories do we see that the battle is not just against an enemy, but there's infighting, there's problems, there's deep character flaws in any of us where we're we're not just fighting externally, we're fighting our own demons, fighting our shortcomings, our own flaws. Or at best, we're turning to people for help that are also fighting their own battles with their own flaws, battling their own demons. psalmist is thinking, if God was not for us, then that would have been our world. We would have faced a power that was more than we could handle, that was stronger than we could endure, and we would have been swallowed alive, overrun. That is a terrifying thought. It is horrible to think about what that would look like. This could have happened, we thought it was going to happen. That frightening place of facing forces stronger than you, of being in a deep place of powerlessness where you have no ability to change what's going to happen is a terrible place. And biblically, this is the picture of where we find ourselves in sin. Sin means both Being separated from God and choosing separation from God. Being cut off and cutting ourselves off. It's choosing to live without him. It's choosing to engage in a world of various powers and strengths and forces on our own. To chance the chances of the world with only the strength of our minds, our hearts, and our abilities. Not knowing if that will be enough. It is simply survival of the fittest. That's the world the psalmist is envisioning here and thanking God that has not come to be. A world that is simply survival of the fittest is a world that sin has created. As appealing as it can feel to be that, to just choose to be the fittest, it means that we only have the power that we can bring or that we can find. There is no outside help. There is no outside force coming. And that's what many secular views would hold out to us as true and yet so many of those secular views, if we explore them, lead to terrifying thoughts that we don't also explore. We somehow think that there is just the freedom there, but if we can put the darkness out of our minds, we don't have to think about those moments, when we might face something that's stronger than we're prepared for, something in us that's darker than we thought was there, something around us that doesn't go the way that we expected it to go. Such a world means we are disconnected from the only power that is greater than any power that we could face here because, as verse 8 reminds us, it says God is the maker of heaven and earth. God made everything. In this world, there is always a bigger fish, but God is outside the world. There is no greater force. There is no bigger fish. He is the ultimate power, the final power, the full authority. There is nothing that can stand up to him. When we are cut off from God, we are cut off from any potential of outside help, of a help that would certainly be stronger, that would be longer-lasting. And choosing to be our own power, to find our own power, to walk away from God and do things just our way. We cut ourselves off from the only thing that is outside everything else. And maybe we'll be stronger than those things and maybe we won't. Maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. And as much as there is an intoxicating allure to the freedom of that power, there is also, the psalmist is calling us to see, to reckon with, a terrifying thought behind that that we usually don't consider. Sometimes it takes tragedy, sometimes it takes age, sometimes it takes experience, sometimes it takes a pandemic, sometimes it takes a war, sometimes it just takes a phone call to make us wake up and see the world is not what we thought it is. It's not as simple as we thought it is. We are not as strong in the midst of all that as we thought we were. The psalmist is calling us to reckon with the world that we know exists, to not sit inside a comfortable numbness of a secular world that would say, have all the power you want, but don't pay attention to the fact that you are on your own, that there is no one coming to save you. And you might say that that's the grown up, mature thing to do, but scripture holds out a different picture. That there is an innate longing in us that knows, that can't help but want something that is not just that. That at bottom, we were made for something different. We were made for a world where this terrifying thought doesn't exist. Or it's not just us facing one uncertainty after another. Because that life takes a huge toll That's why we ignore it. That's why we don't pay attention to it, because there is a sinking burden to paying attention to all those things. To face those things alone is to have the real distress, anxiety, and fear that the psalmist talks about here. That's the terrifying thought that the psalmist is engaging with. And thanking God, though, that it never came true. It recognizes that it could have if God was not for them, and that would have been awful. But for all the grim possibilities that it recalls to mind, this psalm ultimately has a joyful character. It's not stuck in this terrifying thought because those things didn't ultimately win. They didn't have the last word. God was for them. God had the last last word. And when real fear like that is taken away, when the free fall stops, when you are given to set your feet and catch your breath for a moment, we have something genuinely to sing about, like the psalmist does here. You sing when the darkness passes and isn't going to be anymore. I'll give you an example of this. Not too long ago, Esther can tell you that this is true. I had a nightmare that Esther passed away in a car accident, just gone. It felt so real. It was in my soul. I couldn't see the world except through that loss. And I had no idea, as you often don't do, that it was a dream. I was just broken. And some time I woke up and I realized that it was not true and Esther was there. And I could have sang in that moment, I cried is what I did because it wasn't true because the life that I thought that had broken was not broken. But there was such relief and joy, and it's something like that that the psalmist has here, of living in a nightmare for a moment and waking up and realizing, oh, it was just a dream. It's not real. And that brings us to the second point that we'll talk about that the psalmist comes to here is this electrifying reality that changes what was a terrible world that they imagined into something that was the complete opposite of that. The psalmist says, though they were facing that danger and could have been facing it alone, God was on their side. He was for them. The floodwaters came, the enemy rose up against them in anger, but the maker of heaven and earth was on their side. He did not abandon them. Even though, as scripture could paint a picture, if we turn back before all those Psalms, he would have had very good reason to do that. That David even, Israel, had walked away from God in sin countless times Had said, not just we don't need you, but we don't want you. We don't want anything to do with you. And if you've been in any relationship like that where someone says that to you, it is crushing. It is breaking. God is no less heartbroken over our walking away from him than any of us would be in relationships that matter to you. And yet despite that, God was for them. God was patient. God was kind. He delivers them from the jaws of their enemy, verse 6. And he broke the snare that would have trapped them, verse 7. He intervened against a force they could not stand up against. That's what verse 6 is getting after, being offered as prey. is a word to mean to be crushed in the teeth of something, to just be torn apart, as you would be by something much stronger than you. As a bird could be trapped in a snare, or as an animal could be trapped in some kind of trap that you can't get out of. That's what it's saying, that God freed them from this stronger force that they could not escape by any means they were going to be done for. God intervened. The psalmist is rejoicing because he is waking up from this nightmare and testifying to the fact that God showed up for them, that they didn't end up being alone in the end, that the nightmare didn't become a reality. psalmist is calling all of the people of God to remember that this is what God does for those he makes promises to, that though we expect that the universe is cold and dark and empty, that God says otherwise, that God moves otherwise, that he does otherwise, that we might see that we are, in fact, not alone. But he shows up in power, and he does this not just for the important people, not just for the most devoted people, because Israel certainly was not that. He doesn't do this just for one certain kind of people, like ancient Israel. But as the scriptures would promise, he would one day intervene for all peoples around the world, across the ages, so that this wouldn't just be a song that one people in one point in time could sing, but so that everyone could sing about a God who helps us in danger, who makes the nightmares go away because his heart is too big to be just about one people for one time that act a certain way, that sing certain songs, that look a certain way, that come from a certain part of the world. Isaiah 49.6 says it would be too small a thing for God to rescue only one people to pay attention to only one class of person. His heart was that in Jesus Christ, that he would break the snare and shut the jaws of sin in a new and ultimate way, not just for those he had already called, but for those he was yet to call, so that all people, once and for all, would have addressed for us the danger that had come against us in sin, that power that's behind all the powers, behind all the evil behind all the brokenness in our families, all the brokenness in ourselves, all the things that we lament, all the injustice and horrible things in all that world. So all the things that were destroying life for which we had no one to help us because we were all either vulnerable to them or facing our own demons. So that we who were facing those things alone might not be alone. So that in Jesus Christ coming to break the snare and shut the jaws of sin himself, we might be saved. Helped. He came with all the power that we needed and none of the brokenness that we had to use it for us, not for himself not for his benefit, though we are his gain and his treasure that he receives back. He knew it would mean doing this for us, letting the very people he created that he gave breath to, that he was supporting, spit in his face. Rise up against him. Knowing it would mean letting our unrighteous, unjustified anger burn against him when he had been only patient with us. Knowing it would mean letting all the sin for everyone who would ever believe on him swallow him alive. Not hurt him a little bit. Not singe him. Not maim him. Swallow him whole and put him under the flood. Even though he had done nothing but been gracious towards us. Knowing that breaking the snare would mean letting it break him so that you and I might go free from a power that we could not face on our own. In order to make this prayer an even greater song that all people could sing, no matter the circumstance, not just sometimes, the cross gives you much more than a praying that bad things don't come and hoping that they don't come true And God will save me from that. Only if that happens, then can I be saved. We're not just singing this song now as Christians in thanks that the danger didn't wash over us as the psalmist did here. We get to sing this in a more magnified way. Jesus died so that we could sing this as the danger washes over us, as the brokenness floods our lives and our world, so that we can sing it when the circumstances get worse, not better. Because in him, anchored in the power of the resurrection, we have an entirely different hope. One where some... Can wash over us, but it doesn't have the last word anymore. One where betrayal can come and crush our spirit, but it doesn't have the last word anymore. One where abuse can come and manipulate us and mistreat us, but it doesn't have the last word anymore. One where theft can come and take what we love and what we hope to have, but it doesn't get the last word anymore. One where even death can come and it doesn't get the last word so that we don't have to pray that circumstances don't come but then wither when they do but we get to sing in the darkness like Paul and Silas were singing in the jail in Acts 16 because when you are in Christ when this song is yours by faith all the painful things in this life All the predators that would crush you, all the floods that would overwhelm you now have to face that terrifying moment where instead of being the terror, they do their worst to you and you get back up. They spend all their energy, all their fury, all their anger, all the worst that they could do to you and you are still there. You are walking around in the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're not spared from the fire. You are in it and untouched. You are saved by the power of God who is more than the bad things that can come into your life. That's what the resurrection gives you. Not this flimsy little hope where we can only be Christians in the good times, but where we get to stand in the flood. We get to stand in the fire. We get to stand in the nightmare and say, you will not be the end. Amen? Because you are now standing in the power of someone who told death, you don't matter anymore. You are nothing. In Christ we can say, let the darkness come. I don't want it. I pray against it. I pray against it for others, but I don't fear it the same way anymore. Because in getting out of the grave, Jesus showed me that ultimately it is weak. Ultimately, all these things are shallow. That's the help that we have in God. A help that means, as we'll sing when we get to our final song today, that all the dark of this world won't stop the light from getting through. If God said, let there be light in the beginning when there was only darkness, how much more will the light shine through now when Christ has already come? In light of this, I want to invite you to do just one thing more practically this week. I want to invite you to find the light. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings prequel series, Rings of Power, it seems to be borrowing from parts of other Tolkien books when it says this besides the Silmarillion, but a character or two say, in the end, this shadow is but a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Find the light and the shadow will not find you. I want to encourage you to find the light of the resurrection more this week. The light that makes all the darkness vanish, makes it flimsy. Find it in scripture. Go to places like I'm going to point out for you here. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. Go to Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go there, sit down in these places, read nothing else this week, read those sections over and over again, find the light of the resurrection pouring out through the pages of scripture, flowing out into the darkness, being that greater power that tells all the other powers, be quiet, sit down. Let that shine into your mind just once this week. Put that as a note somewhere for yourself that just says, find the light. When you are in a conversation with someone that is not going well, when you are being mistreated by someone, when you are on the T, when you are in traffic, have something that reminds you to find the light, that the darkness you are facing in the moment does not get to have the final word. It doesn't mean it's not painful, but it means it's not final. find the light that can even let you repent where you've been the shadow the shadow has been on the inside not just on the outside find the light in the grace of the gospel that lets you come home in that way that lets those who have walked in the shadow come into the light just by grace find that light find it for the first time if you don't know this light what light what light do you have Does it always depend on you to shine? Can it help when you're tired? When you can't think that clearly? When you can't think high enough, strategically enough? Does that light go out when you reach your limits? I want to invite you to find the light that the psalmist has found here, the light that can get rid of even your shadows the ones that seem to follow you around no matter where you go, where you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and the shadow is still there, it's still there in the evening, there's only one light that can do that, that can be outside you, that can be what we need to have, which is something outside of this world to change what is broken inside this world. Brokenness can't fix brokenness. We need something from the outside something that can break the snare and shut the jaws. Find that light, and what a song you will get to sing when you do. Find the light of Christ this week, and the shadow will not find you in the end. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a few moments for you to talk to God about the things on your heart, maybe thanking him for giving us a help like this, a help that the worst things can't change maybe confessing the ways that we've been part of the shadow that we've wanted another light. We've wanted to be the light ourselves. Ask God to put this hope in the front of your mind so that you see it everywhere you go, even in the darkness. Let's pray. tells us? Our light. God, would you be light in our lives this week? Would you be light in our relationships, light in our work, light in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our city? Would you be the help that finds us when we are weak, when it seems like the worst is going to overtake us? Would you stand with us in those things and show us that because of Jesus, They don't win in the end. Be with us now. Fill up our hearts. Amen.